to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. So I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Joshua, or Judges rather. It's before Joshua and after Ruth, the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 16. And I'm so glad you still bring your Bible. And if you don't, I wish you would. And if you got a phone, get an app and open one up. Because I put the words on the screen, but you still ought to bring your Bible. You know, for 23 years, I've threatened to preach a, a, a message of heresy one Sunday just to see if anybody picks up on it. I've threatened to do it. That would be something, wouldn't it? Some of y'all be amen in me. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? Judges chapter 16, beginning of verse 23. This is the story of a Bible character that is often well known called Samson. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. And so it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, notice this, that he may perform for us. And so they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. You see, they had blinded him. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it, And so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Thank you for reverence in the word. Samson, as you might know, was a judge in Israel and a man upon whom the Spirit of God moved mightily and miraculously. But through a series of poor choices... And because of deleted morals and a poor value system, Samson grew distant from God and eventually lost everything. He lost his hair. He lost his sight. He lost his liberty. He lost his strength. He lost his usefulness to God. And worst of all, he lost the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The words of the text that I just read to you describe a man who was in desperate need of renewal and revival. Nothing is so distressing to God. Nothing is so distressing to a pastor, and I speak for myself 
and the others on our pastoral staff. Nothing is so distressing to the good godly members of a local church as seeing someone in the church grow cold spiritually and start drawing away from the Lord. I've seen it happen time and again. I've seen people who used to come to church regularly used to praise and worship God with passion, used to fellowship with the saints, with the brothers and sisters in our church family, used to serve God faithfully, used to read their Bible and pray daily, used to fast and push back the plate to get closer to God, used to be on fire for God. I've seen those people fall into a state of spiritual apathy and complacency and eventually fall off the radar. Some of them still came to church. Some of them did. But spiritually, it was as if someone had flicked the switch from on to off, and there was no life and no passion and no fire and little or no participation in the things of God. When they came to church, they just stood there and went through the service and went home. You could tell they were in need, desperate need, of a personal revival. And brothers and sisters, I want to say to you this morning, be careful because it can happen so easily to any of us. You say, Pastor, how would something like that happen? You grow slack. You grow slack in your Bible reading. You grow slack in your prayer time. You grow slack in coming to church. You stop coming at all. You get too busy in life. You come and become absorbed with the things of this life, your career, your education, a new relationship, making money, a recreational activity. People or things displace God from the top of your priority list, and you don't mean to do it. It just happens over time as you neglect the things of God and become passionate for other things until one day you Awaken to find yourself a shell of the person that you once were spiritually. So how do you know if you are in need of a personal revival? I believe the story of Samson shows us the causes. The answers are found in this story, so I'm going to share four with you. Number one, you know you're in need of a personal revival when you become a reason for the devil to throw a party. The Bible says in verse 23 that the Philistines threw a party because Samson had been defeated, the one who was their enemy, the one who had defeated them time and time again in battle and overcome them, now had been overcome. He was no longer a threat to them. They threw a party. I mean, they went all out. There was music and singing and hors d'oeuvres and food and dancing and rejoicing because of Samson's demise. What I'm about to say may provoke some of you. It may get under your crawl, and as far as I'm concerned, that's all right with me. I want you to know that the devil and all of hell are rejoicing right now if you have grown spiritually cold or inactive and you're no longer a threat to the kingdom of Satan. They're rejoicing. They're throwing a party right now because of you. You are the butt of jokes among the demonic hordes of hell. 
because you used to be something they feared, and now you're just a joke to them. I know that's strong, and you better get ready. I got a little bit more of that coming in this sermon. But sometimes we need to be goaded and poked a little bit into reality. I don't ever want to give the devil a reason to throw a party. If anything, I want to give the devil a reason to throw a pity party. I want to give the devil a reason to throw a temper tantrum because I'm saying the things and doing the things that are giving him grief through the power of God. In the book of Acts chapter 19, we are told that there were seven sons of a Jewish priest named Sceva who tried to cast out an evil spirit in Jesus' name in a, in a person who was demon-possessed. And the devil spoke. And the demon said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Now the bad part of that story is those guys didn't know Jesus. They were just using a formula. They thought it would work. And that demonic man beat the fool out of those seven men, stripped all the clothes off of them. They ran out the house, ran down the street in town naked, whooped by the devil. Now that's one side of the story, but there's another side of the story that I want to hone in on, and it's this. He said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, and you need to know you can have a reputation in hell. You ought to have a reputation in hell. Hell ought to know who you are. Maybe nobody else knows who you are, but the devil ought to know who you are. I want to have a reputation in hell as a born-again, blood-bought, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-talking, spirit-anointed person who walks right, talks right, prays right, preaches right, shouts right, and is doing everything he can to tear down the kingdom of hell and advance the gospel and advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the reputation I want to have in hell. Anybody else feel that way this morning? You can have that kind of reputation. You can be known in hell. But you know you need a revival when you're a reason for the devil to throw a party. The second thing that indicates for us that you need a revival is this. When the best people can do is talk about what you used to do for God. If that's the best people can do is talk about what you used to do and who you used to be, you need a revival. Verse 24 says the Philistines referenced Samson's past deeds for God. This is what they said. They said, he's the guy that used to be used by God. He's the guy that used to operate in the power of the Spirit. He's the guy that used to fight Jehovah's battles. He's the guy that used to beat us, but not anymore. Those days are long gone. As far as they were concerned, they were concerned. Samson's service for God was now history. There was nothing in the here and now. Let me ask you a question. If I said your name out loud right now with this microphone, I called you out, how far back down memory lane would we have to go to find your spiritual activity for Jesus Christ? Now, some of you say, well, Pastor, not very far. I'm here, aren't I? Praise the Lord. You are. Some of you are here. But somebody, some people are just here, but they haven't been very active at all the whole service. You can go through a whole church service and be cold and inactive. How far back would we go? Last week? When's the last time you read your Bible and prayed and spent time with the Lord? How's your spiritual life? When's the last time you just got along with Jesus and talked to him, didn't pray a foxhole prayer because you had something trouble going on, you cried out to the Lord for help? When's the last time? How far back? Weeks? Months? Huh. Would you tell me, Pastor, I used to shout. 
I used to be fired up when I came to church. Oh, man, I used to say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I used to I used to get with you, Pastor, when you preach. When we'd sing, I'd lift my hands and worship God. I'd feel his presence. I used to feel the tingle touch of the Holy Ghost. The hair used to stand up on the back of my neck. I used to be on fire for God. I used to be passionate about the things of God. Pastor, I used to talk freely about Jesus to anybody. I didn't care what anybody thought. I used to read my Bible. I used to pray. I used to experience powerful and precious times with the Lord, but no. No more. It's been a long, long time, Pastor. When's the last time some of you been to church? Been a long time, Pastor. Well, COVID. COVID, COVID's not an issue as much anymore. Some of you it is. When's the last time some of you been to church? Been everywhere else. When's the last time you've been to church? Used to go. I used to be there every Sunday, Pastor. Used to. And that's my point. You know, concerning the things in this life, let me tell you, let, let the 55-year-old man tell you something. It is inevitable you're going to become a has-been. I don't care how good you are, you're going to be a has-been. I don't care how good you are right now at something, there'll be somebody that'll come along and be better than you. Now, I'm going to crow a little bit to make a point. When I was a young man, I was athletic. I played sports. My wife played sports. We loved play sports. I played softball, played basketball. I played basketball in college, my little Bible college I played. I was the third high scorer on my team. Praise Cathedral, the church this church started out when I was in my 20s, early 30s. That was one of the most sports-oriented churches you could ever find. We played basketball. We played softball all week long in leagues. I love basketball. I broke my ankle playing basketball. I love basketball. I've turned my ankle so many times because I love it. I used to light up threes. I was a point guard, and we would light them up. I remember one game one night, I had six three-pointers just in one game. I was lighting it up. Call me Steph Curry. <laughs> I mean, I was on fire. And we played give-and-go basketball. The guys I played with, we played give-and-go basketball. And I mean, man, we would just light it up. I loved it. I, I didn't want to come out of the game. If they tried to pull me out of the game, I said, don't pull me out of the game. Aren't you? I don't need a break. I wanted to play the whole game. I loved it. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a has-been. If I tried to shoot right now, I got this torn meniscus in here and a bad back and everything and weak ankles. You, you tried to go around me, it'd be like going around a stop sign. It wouldn't be hard. You could go over top of me because I'm not jumping. I don't even know if I could find the rim. I'm a has-been. That's okay. That's the way life works. Man, I love to play softball. I used to be, when I first started, I wasn't real good at it, but then I figured out how to hit the ball. Once I figured out how to hit the ball, man, I put that ball out, I, I, I'd hit home runs without even thinking about it. I mean, they team at Praise Cathedral, I hit line, I was fourth man. I was cleanup batter. And I'd hit them out, and I'm, I'm, I know you said, Pastor, you're bragging. I am, because I'm about trying to make a point. I could do it. I could do it. Lee and I were home run hitters. When she played for the women's team, we were home run hitters. And I'd... I, First two guys to get on the base, guy ahead of me, I'd say, oh, I would be, I would be over there praying on the on-deck circuit, please, God, let him walk. Please, Jesus, let him walk. Load the bases so I can hit a grand slam home run. Please, God, he'd walk. I'd say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Get up and I'd pop that thing, knock it out, and hit a I can't tell how many grand slams. He's Pastor, you're bragging. I am. I'm telling you because back then I could do it. Played the softball tournament, state softball tournament for the Church of God in Columbia. Air was so thick, nobody was hitting them out that day. We had bases loaded, one out. It was the bottom of the last inning, one out. Bases loaded. It was a tie game. All I have to do is hit a long fly ball 
runner on third is going to tag and score. We win the game. Coach looked over at me and said, you didn't think you'd hear me say this. He said, you got the green light. He pitched me the first pitch, bases loaded, and I slapped that ball. Nobody had been trying to hit it. We were just hitting bases because the ball wouldn't go out. But I smoked that thing, and the, and the right center fielder, he took off running, and that ball went out. I hit a walk-off grand slam home. My wife went and got that ball, went and chased it down, and I still have it to this day in the hope chest, don't I, baby? That's the truth. See, I sound like an old man, but let me tell you something right now. If I got back on that, I don't know if I could get that ball past the pitcher. I might whiff three times. And I sure am not going to stand on second base and let some 18-year-old hit that thing 140 mile an hour at me because I'm just going to go, outfielder, you got it. I'm a has-been, okay? That's just life. That's just, that's the way it is. But let me tell you something. I have discovered there is one area where it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been doing it, there's one area you never have to be a has-been. As a matter of fact, you never should be a has-been, and that's with your walk with God. We used to sing, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. I've learned that the longer I serve him, the deeper I get and the stronger I get in the Lord and the more spiritual I get with him. David said, I once was young and now I'm old. But let me tell you something. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God will not forsake you. God is there waiting on you. If you'll just reach out to him, you may feel like a spiritual has-been, but he'll breathe on you. And honey, you'll come back to life and God will use you like he's never used you before. You just got to get, get after it and say, God, touch me one more time. You know you're in need of a revival when hell throws a party because of you. You know you're in need of a revival when people talk about what you used to do and be. Here's the third indicator. You know you're in need of revival when the extent of your spiritual activity is mere performance. Verse 25 says the Philistines brought Samson from prison and I tried to emphasize it in the text and he performed for them. He put on a show. He said, what did he do, pastor? Listen to me, this is so important. You may have never seen this. They made him, they compelled him to role play how he acted when the spirit of the Lord used to come on him and do all the things that we read about in the book of Judges. Act like you did when the Spirit of God came on you. And so he was blind, but he started performing. And so he acted like he was supernaturally chasing down foxes and tying their tails together and sticking a torch in them and releasing them into the Philistine wheat fields to burn them down. He, he role-played how he went over to the gates of a city, the bronze gates, and supernaturally ripped them off and put them on his shoulder and carried them away. He, he role-played how he took the jawbone of a donkey and he picked it up and he's killing like a sword. He's killing a thousand Philistines. None of this is happening. It's all role play, but he's performing for them, see? But there's no spirit and no life. It's just going through the motions. And if you're at church and you're just going through the motions, you need a revival. Pull your Pull your toes up in your shoe. If you have to be told to raise your hands or shout hallelujah in church, you're a performer. If your spouse has to remind you to read the Bible and pray every week, you're a performer. If you're coming to church thinking about what you got to do after church and you're here in body but not in mind, you probably shouldn't even come. 
because you're nothing more than a performer. In Revelation 3, 15 through 16, Jesus had some words some, for some performers. He said to the, to the Laodicean church, he said, I know your works. I know your performance. You're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. A lot of preachers like to get right there and start talking about how lukewarmness is bad. Here's what I want to preach out. I want to be positive. Here's what I get out of that. God wants you on fire. And here's what I get out of that. If you're lukewarm or if you're cold, guess what? You can get on fire. Just a little talk with Jesus can make things right. Just one touch of the master's hand can give fire. Just one, just one experience with the Holy Ghost and God will put fire back inside of you. He wants your praise and worship done in spirit and in truth. He wants your spiritual life alive and well. He wants integrity in your spiritual activity. He wants you to be able to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, hallelujah. That's where he wants you, where it's just all inside of you, everything coming out. Finally, you know you're in need of a personal revival when you are in bondage to a devilish support system. When you are in bondage to a devilish support system, when something from hell has got you bound up, and you just can't seem to break free, break free and, and get where you need to be with God, something's holding you back. You need a revival. Verse 25 says, The temple of the Philistine god Dagon had a second story supported by two pillars. And Samson was tied to these two support columns. See, it was a temple of a devil. Dagon was a devil god. It wasn't a real god. It was just a demonic spirit behind it. But Samson, the man of God, was tied to something, listen to me, he had no business being tied to. And y'all, there are things we have no business being tied to. The Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The Bible says he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But let me tell you what happens when you start pulling away from the Lord and you get cold and you stop coming to church and you stop reading your Bible and you stop praying and you're, you're all involved in all these other things, but God has moved way down the list. Let me tell you what will happen. You'll get in bondage to things that you feel like you cannot do without and they'll become more important to you than God. It could be a negative relationship with a non-believer. Y'all know we do not believe in evangelism dating. Girl, if he ain't saved now, he ain't going to get saved after you marry him. You, amen me or don't. I'm trying to help y'all. I'll save him. No, you won't. You're going to be stuck with something you wished you had never done. You'll rue the day. It may be that you've become attached emotionally or physically to the things of this world. It'll kill your spiritual life. This happened to Abraham. Abraham had a wife named Sarah. They were old, but in their old age, God gave them a promise and said, I'm going to give you a child. They didn't have any children. They were child. I'm going to give you a child. 
They held on to that promise for years. But then Sarah got a little impatient, got a little cold, lost some of her spirituality, and said to Abraham, there is a custom in our time that I can give you my servant. Her name was Hagar, and I'm going to give her to you as your wife. That's often called a concubine. I'm going to give her as your wife, and, and you have a child through her, and then I'll adopt that child. God's not moving fast enough for us. So we'll just take things in our own hands. And Abraham agreed. And so he took Hagar as his wife, and they were intimate, and she got pregnant, and they had a, a boy named Ishmael. And they spent time together, he and Hagar, and went on dates and all that goes with that. And I'm like T.D. Jakes. I heard him preach on this one time, and I'm right there with him. He said, I don't understand any man like Abraham, and I sure don't understand, never met any woman like Sarah. Because I know Miss Leah over there, she wouldn't tolerate that for the first minute. So that story is intriguing to me. How Sarah would even let that happen from most women I know. And how Abraham went along with it. That's right up there with a woman saying, does this dress make me look fat? Brothers, that is a time when you are permitted to lie. That's the only time. Because otherwise you may be going on to glory. Lord, I've lost my way. So Abraham got with Hagar for 13 years. He's intimate with this woman. Sarah's good with it. Do you know what happened in 13 years between Abraham and God? Go read the story in Genesis. Nothing. The man who was the friend of God and God showed up and talked to him regularly and he got all these revelations and promises and for 13 years, no God. He had what he thought he wanted. He was consumed with his children. You know, you can get so you know you can put your kids before God. I'm preaching today. I don't care whether I get an amen. I've seen I've seen women, mothers put their children before God. I've seen parents put, how do you put your child before God? Will you take him? And I did mine. I had a son that played travel ball, but we still kept him in church. But they're doing four different travel balls from four different sports. But you come to church about four times a year, and that makes everything. You don't want to hear this kind of preaching. Nothing wrong with travel balls, just when they're doing five different travel balls. You say, you're making this up? No, 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 no. Every pastor in America will tell you this is our greatest concern because we're not seeing people anymore. They're going everywhere else. And then they wonder why their kids aren't living right, and they're wondering why their marriage is struggling, and then they come crawling to us when everything starts falling apart. Hadn't seen you in six months, six years. Help me, Pastor. Who are you again? Oh, that's right. You're a member of my church, aren't you? And seen you in a long, long time. Please help me. Please help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. We try to help them because that's what we do. Phone went off. That might be the Lord. You better answer it. 
13 years, nothing. He left you a voicemail. The Lord showed back up because God had a greater plan. How many of you know, even though we get away from him, God will still show up? God doesn't give up on us. I'll get through this sermon somehow. And the Lord showed back up, and in the season of time, he gave Sarah that child. They, they came together, and supernaturally, what was a biological impossibility, she conceived and gave birth to Isaac. And Ishmael, now a 13, 14-year-old teenage boy, started making fun of the little baby. Probably felt a little threatened because, you know, he had been the king of the house. Boy, Sarah didn't like that. And she came to Abraham and said, she's got to go and he's got to go. She was 14 years too late. How many of you know? But at least she was making an effort. Abraham didn't want to do it. The Lord had to come in and say, Abraham, listen to your wife. She's got to go. He's got to go. Now, some of you think that's cruel, Pastor. You mean he, they, he just put them out? Yeah, he gave her food and some water, sent them on their way. Said, see ya. Now, don't worry. God took care of her and God took care of him. And if you don't know, Ishmael is the father of the modern Arabs. That's why they love Abraham. Because Abraham is their father too, see, just like the Jews. And so God took care of Hagar and Ishmael. But God said, I've got a people called Israel, and I've got a, my son who's got to come through this lineage of Israel. He's got to go. The son of promise is where I'm going to work. And so Abraham sent her off. But don't you know he wasn't cold-hearted? I bet it was one of the hardest things he ever did in his life. Maybe with hot tears streaming down his face, he told her goodbye with a broken heart for several days, worrying and wondering. But he knew it's what he needed to do if he was going to have, let me dare say it, the revival that he needed to fulfill the plan God had for his life. And I'm just telling you, when you experience a spiritual awakening, you better get ready to cut some ties and make some changes and face some tough decisions because you may have become attached to some people and some things that you're going to have to say, if I'm going to get back with God and I'm going to serve God and go after God, I can't do this with you. I've seen men, young men. I had one young man, 20-something years old, early 20s, serve the Lord, but then got tied up with a girl and went the wrong direction, came in my office, tore out of his frame, trying to figure out what to do. I told him what to do. Thought he went back and did it. He tried to break it off of that girl. And then found out later he went right back. Haven't seen him in church. See, he can't have his revival. He can't have that walk with God because there's a, a girl who cares nothing about Jesus. And is like, Are you listening to me this morning? I'm trying to preach to you. Sometimes, it may hurt. You may cry. If you'll just let go of those things and put God where he belongs at the top of the list and say, God, I'll give up anything for your touch, he'll touch you. Oh, he'll touch you. <laughs> and oh, the joy, that'll flood your soul. There are three keys to personal revival 
found in verse 28, and I'm closing with this. Pastor, I want that revival. I need that revival. You've told me the, the indicators, but what do I do, Pastor? Let me tell you what Samson did. The Bible, the Bible says in verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord. Called to the Lord. You know what that simply means? Just talk to him. Just pray. You may not feel spiritual right now, but pray. Did, did you hear me? If you go by your feelings, you're not going to do it. You're just going to have to talk to him. You may feel embarrassed. Well, you ought to be embarrassed, but pray anyhow. You may feel humble and unworthy. Well, you aren't worthy, but just talk to him anyhow, and he'll hear your cry. Pray with sincerity. Pray with truth. Pray with humility. God sees your heart, and he will hear you. And guess what? He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. Pray. The second thing is, he said, oh, Lord, remember me, I pray. He was really scared God had forgotten him. He, he really thought he was off God's radar, beyond, listen to me, beyond the reach and the scope of God's grace and mercy. What I want to tell you and what Samson discovered is that you're never beyond the scope of God's grace and mercy. You can just lean on God's grace and mercy. You may have placed God on the back burner of your life, but God has not forgotten you. He's ready to renew you and restore you and revive his relationship with you. You don't understand. You are the apple of his eye. And I love that song, and I think Pastor Billy's coming. Y'all, come on. They're going to sing it. Not, I love that song. Not for a minute was I forsaken. We sing it here. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. And I love that line, come Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken. That's revival. But the Lord is in this place. And I'm telling you today, you came to high praises. I don't know what you came expecting, but you came to the right place because the Lord is in this place. Cry out to the Lord, lean on his grace. And then finally, you got to pray a prayer of faith. He said, strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, oh God, give me back what I lost. I don't deserve it, God, but just strengthen me. I used to get that divine supernatural strength. I want it one more time, God. Can I have it one more time? Can I feel your touch one more time? God, will you work in my life one more time? God, can, I, can you use me, Lord, one more time? Lord, I know I got away from you, Samson said. I know I failed you. I know I'm a, I know I'm a disappointment, God, but I'm coming back. Please forgive me. Please touch me one more time. And you know what happened? God touched him. And the power of God came on him. He took those hands. Everybody thinks Samson looks like a Mr. Universe bodybuilder. He probably looked like me. His strength wasn't in his biceps and triceps and quads. His, his strength was in the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. See? And so the power of the Holy Ghost came on that little Jewish man named Samson and he said boy put my hands on the pillars and he put his hands on the support system and he said the support system is coming down I'm not leaning on this anymore and more than that these stinking Philistines who are the enemy of the children of Israel, they kill them, they murder them, they, they go in and take what's theirs, they, they hinder the work of God through the people of God these are the enemies of God one more time, I'm going to let him have it. And he pushed on those two pillars. When he did, 
they crumbled and the roof came crashing down and he killed 3,000 of those lords and ladies of for the Lysses. They were wicked, evil people. I'm talking about, just think about the most wicked people in a heartbeat. They'd kill you. They would kill me. He killed them all. Yes, it took his life, but listen to me. In that one moment, Samson did more for God than he did all the rest of his life combined. Here's the secret. You may say, I'm away from God. I'm cold. I, Pastor, I've let, I've let other things. I'm not what I used to be. Will, can God do anything in me? You don't understand. God will not only revive you and restore you and give you the fire and the passion and, and the relationship and the rekindling, but God will take you and use you and do more through you now than you've ever seen him do before in your life. I want you to stand with me. I'm not done preaching. I got one more point to make, but I am making it when you, with you in the altar. So I want everybody in this place to come to the altar. If you leave, you're going to miss out on the best part. God's about to move in this house. So just come. Come as close to the front as you can. We're about to have a move of God in this house. I can feel his touch. Y'all feel him? Y'all better get ready. Get ready. We're about to have a move of God. I can feel him. He's moving. Woo! Come on, y'all. Get on down here. That's it. Keep coming. Keep coming all the way to the front. There are people back there waiting. Just keep coming to the front. Will you do it? Just come all the way to the front. There is a verse that I didn't read. Zach, it's verse 22. I didn't read it, but I'm going to read it now. It's one of those verses you go, why is that in there? Why did, they, why did they put that in there? What's the point? Here's what the verse says. The hair of his head, talking about Samson, began to grow again. You know, when Delilah got him, she cut all his hair off. I told him in the first service, I said, I think she cut him down like a Marine Corps soldier. I bet she clipped that thing just as close as she could because that when she when they found out that the strength was in his hair, but they cut it all down to the to the scalp. Lost his hair. That was we all know there were more things involved, but but the story seems to go back to that that sign of the Nazarite vow. There were other things, but there's something about the hair, see, that was significant. And the writer said, I need to tell you this. That, yeah, he's blinded, and yeah, he's in prison, and yes, he's chained. And the Spirit of the Lord has left him, and, and he's grinding in a grist mill. God's not doing anything with him. But I got to tell you this. And while he's in there doing nothing, pining about the days when he used to be used by God, regretting all the stupid decisions that he made that pulled him away from the Lord day after day, what happened happens it's a natural effect that the hair started to grow the hair started to grow and day by day went to week by week and as he's grinding that grist mill watch this Samson took his hand and said I'm getting my hair back I don't know how long it grew I don't know if he got him a good mullet going on back here in the back I don't know if it looked long I don't know how long it got but he got his hair back. He could run his fingers through his hair again. The hair's coming back. He said, Pastor, why is that in the Bible? 
That's in the Bible on purpose. That's in the Bible to say to everybody here who needs a revival, there's hope. There's hope. It doesn't matter how bad you've been and how far away you've gotten from God and how long it's been and how much you've pulled away from Him. I'm trying to tell you, if you had it before, there's hope. It can happen again. It can happen again. You just gotta trust me. If He did it for Samson, He'll do it for you. There's hope. The devil wants to kill your hope, but I came here to tell you there's hope. Just run your fingers through your hair. There's hope. Come on, just some of you don't have any hair, but just act like it. Just run your fingers through your hair. Do it right now. Feel that? You feel that? You know what that is? That's a sign there's hope. Look at two or three people and say, there's hope. There's hope. Look at somebody say, you can have a revival. You can have a revival. There's hope. Somebody said that if you want revival in the church, you got to draw a circle, get in the middle of it, and say, God, send a revival and send it right here in this circle first. I want you to take your finger and I want you to draw an imaginary circle around yourself. Would you do that? Just help, just patronize me. Just draw, if I can do it on stage in front of everybody in cameras, you can do it. Just draw it, you did it? Now I want you to start praying and I want you to get ready for a move of God in your life. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost about to move. I want you to start praying, God, send a revival in high praises. And Lord, start it right here in this circle in me. Come on, start praying. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.